0: Second Kings, and I hope that Thank we you. we will be finishing it tonight. It's always just such a sense of accomplishment when I finish. See, Mia, Mia came up. You see, there you go. Follow your daughter. <laughs> Obey your daughter. I just I, I just told them, uh, a guy to listen to his wife. Listen to your daughter. Uh, I hope we would. Be finishing. We're in Second Kings 23. Just so you remember, we're at the end of Second Kings 23, the very verse 30. We're going to start. I do want to say, one week from last night, we will be in this room. Very, very, very important prayer meeting. I hope all of you can come. We are praying as a church together about a property right up there, really close to here, the big white church on top of the hill. Um, we are going to be putting an offer. Uh, to uh, sign a long-term lease on that uh, building and um, we want to pray and seek the Lord and ask him to move the mountain for us. And so that is a week from last night or this Monday night. What's the, what's the correct way of saying it? Is it this Monday night or next Monday night? Next, next night. Monday So if it's not in the week, it's is this? This, this, Monday. This, this Monday night, this That's Monday night. This How do people night. learn English? That's what I want to know. <laughs> We get a shot this. this. This is important. most, it's, it's the most pressing Monday. Monday, so it's, this. it's okay. this. Wow, we'll have to look it up in <laughs> an, an etiquette book or something like that. Second Kings 23. Someone needs to search that on Google. I think it's this Monday, right? because, yeah, Because it's this coming Monday. I think he already <laughs> did. I think he, I think he found it on Google that. <laughs> your cousin. Your cousin, Cleveland. You he beat you to Google. 2nd King, Chapter 23. Thank you for being here going through the Word of God. And you know, I, I I know sometimes, particularly in the Old Testament, particularly in these kind of chapters, it's, uh, it's not light reading, it's not happy reading, but it's super, super important reading. It prepares us for the New Testament. The whole Old Testament prepares you for the New Testament. The effect of it is supposed to If it's having its effect in your life, it will be to make you want to run to Jesus Christ. The Bible says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it, and they are safe. It also says, your life is hidden. It says, you died, Christian, you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's a safe place to be with Jesus. But, you know, as we read through the Old Testament, it really makes us want to run to the cross, like the song that we just sung. Let's pray before we begin. Lord, I just pray that you show us to this place, that this a safe place, this wonderful place, the place of refuge, the place of safety, the place that we can just be so unashamed before you covered by your blood. The blood of Jesus which purged us, cleansed us from all our sins. Lord, we didn't need fixing. We needed replacing. And that's what you did when you gave us. You replaced our old life. You took it away. and You gave us a life in Jesus Christ. We thank you for that. And Lord, we, we do understand that this, that with the, the, the chapters that we're in tonight, they are. Um, they're, um, as well as the rest of the Old Testament. They're preparing us, um, preparing a, a, a reader. We're doing that work in the reader to make them want to run to you. I just pray that you would do that very thing tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we were studying Josiah, just a tremendous, tremendous man of God. And, uh, it says there, there were no none like uh, there were none like him either before him or after him. Verse twenty five, chapter twenty three says that before him there was no one like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might. Nor did any after him arise like him. But the Lord took him away. I'm convinced the Lord just wanted him. And took him to himself in a battle. And verse 30 says, The servants moved his body in a chariot from Megiddo and brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, and anointed him and made him king in his father's place. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamatal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libanah, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. According to all that his fathers had done, so um, Josiah was the last good king of Judah. There was eight. Um, there was no good kings in the northern kingdom. Uh, there was eight in the south. Josiah was the last good king. We're going to see um, four other kings, all of them evil. You would just think they would learn from just would have learned from Josiah. Or you would at, at least think the ones that uh, like number two, three, and four would have learned from number one. Uh, he did evil and he was taken off. The second one did evil; he was taken off. But none of the other kings, the remaining kings, would would learn. And that's how entrenched that um, we get into sin. That's why it's so important. Uh, like Psalm one thirty nine says that Lord. Um, search me, examine me, see if there's any evil way within me, and lead me on the way everlasting. Because we try to assume like we're these pure innocent people that don't have any sin. Wrong. And uh, we, we have the just capacity to see uh, tremendous examples of righteousness and ignore it, and tremendous examples of what happens when people disobey and, and ignore, and, and the consequences that they suffer, and ignore that. And so it says that uh, in verse 30 that Josiah died and it says, that in the middle of the verse it says, the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of jo- J- Josiah, and anointed him and made him king in his father's place. Now, Oddly enough, we're going to see his brother, Jehoahaz's brother, uh, become king. In verse 36, it says, Jehoiakim. some of these names, it gets really confusing because they all sound the same, but king um, was 25. That means Jehoahaz was his younger brother, so that a younger brother becomes king in verse 30. And now... If you remember, it's not necessarily the, the case with the line of the kings for the oldest son uh, to be made king. Solomon was not the David's oldest son, but he was made king. Uh, but that was because David chose him to be king. That's why Solomon was made king. In this case, it says the people of the land took Jehoahaz the son of Josiah and anointed him. Now you that I know of, that's never that phrase is never used. The people got a king and anointed them, and I think what's going on here is that um, he was sort of a popular guy, and the people looked at him. By this time, the people had some were sinking really, really low. That's why the prophetess Huldah told Josiah, I remember from last week and the week before, look, you guys, you, 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 you guys are going to be destroyed. Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. Uh, it, it's because the people were sinking so low. And, and here, it, it sounds like the people just take it, and, and sometimes people just take things into their own hand. They've anointed it. Like, what are they doing? That's a, you know, priests. Were the ones who took oil and anointed the king, but here it's like back in the days of Saul. Remember the people um, before King Saul, who was the first king of Judah. There were no kings, and they cried out for a king, the kind of king like the, what was other name was with other nations, and they, you know, they they uh, demanded a king that looked like the kings of other nations, and they got it, Saul, and they paid a heavy price. Here, here they are again, they're choosing this guy, not that his older brother who was going to be king was any brother any better, uh, but he was anointed. They just grabbed a priest's oil and said, who needs a priest? We're going to do it. They just dumped oil on top of him. Uh, the, the phrase anointed, that's what it means in, in this context. Well, he only lasts three months this guy. It says in verse 31, at this point, the within 22 years, Jerusalem is going to be completely destroyed. But this is sort of the beginning of the end here. And this just shows sort of anarchy setting in. Just three months he reigns. It says in verse 33, now Pharaoh Necho, that means uh, the Pharaoh that came up from Egypt. Uh, put him in prison at Riblah in the land of Hamath, that he might not reign in Jerusalem, and he imposed on the land a tribute of 100 talents of silver and talents of gold. Then Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in place of his father Josiah, and changed his name to Jeokim. And Pharaoh took Jehoahaz and went to Egypt and he died there. So this guy reigns three months. Um, Pharaoh the king comes up there was able to had a good idea that there was tremendous instability in the land of Israel and said I'm just going to go in and and test this guy. If I don't like him I am going to take him prisoner and and put someone else in place. So apparently there's an interview of uh, one way or another of this First, uh, first, this—well, I should say his first son of uh, of Josiah, but Jehoaz—he uh, he was apparently the second son, but who had been made king first. The interview went bad, and, and Pharaoh Necho uh, just takes him out and puts in Jeokim. Verse 35 says, So Jeokim gave the silver and gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land to give money according to the command of Pharaoh. He exacted the silver and gold from the people of the land, from everyone according to his assessment, to give it to Pharaoh Necho. So at this point, Israel becomes a vassal of Egypt, they're not a sovereign nation anymore. They're not in charge of their own affairs, uh, as they had been for uh, hundreds of years. Um, they are basically uh, a, a vassal. sort of a... You, you, uh, They've kind of been annexed by uh, Egypt and um, are, you could almost say, a country under Egypt's control at this point. Uh, it says that verse 36 Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem his mother's name was Zebuda the daughter of Padiah uh, of Ramah and he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done in his days chapter 24 verse 1 Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came up and Jehoiakim Became his vassal, so it switches from Egypt to Babylon for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. So uh, after so, so Jehoiakim first agrees to be Egypt's vassal. Nebuchadnezzar comes up. He says, "I'm not going to mess with this guy." He becomes his vassal. Uh, then he turned and rebelled against him. And the Lord sent bands of Chaldeans, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, and bands of the people of Ammon. He sent them against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servants, the prophets. When So, a little history here, when, ba- when Nebuchadnezzar uh, came up and uh, he first comes up and he makes um, Je- Jehoiakim uh, a vassal, at that time is when, that's 605 BC, that's when the prophet Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are taken back to Babylon at that time. That's sort of the the, the first attack of Nebuchadnezzar um, when he comes up. or uh, He comes into Jerusalem. At this time, in verse 1, uh, the Israelites don't put up any fuss. The king of Babylon just comes in, takes away a bunch of people, including Daniel, and takes them back. And it says that the Lord, again, the Lord sent against him raiding bands of Chaldeans, Syrians, Moabites and Ammonites when you disobey the Lord he will make your life miserable he will send raiding bands against you of Babylonians of verse 2 Syrians and Moabites and Ammonites he will do it there is a consequence of obedience, of rather of disobedience. You will never, ever uh, somehow be an exception to, the, to, to God's word. God's Word says when you disobey, you will get the, without repentance, you will get the consequences. And, and here you see, um, and, and, and this happens uh, so much, and, and, and I remember before I was walking with the Lord, it's just in my rebellion, I first heard the gospel when I was 16, 17 years old, and, and, um, and, and, and the Lord was worshipful on me for a while, but then after a while, it was just like this. A raiding band from this side of life, from that side of life, and soon it's like, whoa, everyone's against me. And God does that in His grace to bring us to Him. He does that in His grace to finally bow down to Him and surrender and say, "Okay, I give up. I get it. I can't win a fight against You, God. You created me to love You." Uh, and, and but, but here uh, again, the the, the second uh, the second son or the second king after. Um, Je- uh, after Josiah, Jehoiakim he thinks he's he, he's he's smarter than uh, God. He thinks he's. Remember, they had found the word of God in the, the reign of his father Josiah. He's just throwing it back in the corner of the room and living according to however he wants to to live. And you have this, these four different bands of raiders coming against him. Verse 3, surely at the commandment of the Lord, this came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done, and also because of the innocent blood that he had shed, for he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. And so we talked about this. Manasseh reigned for 50 years. He was Josiah's grandfather. And he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood from one end to the another, another passage says. And and so there was a decree at that time uh, that so much blood had been shed that God had said, Okay, that's it. I am going to, in time destroy Jerusalem. And so this is like the beginning of the end here, the beginning of the judgment. Not even the righteous reign of Josiah, we learned, would turn back the wrath of God. Verse 5, Now the rest of the acts of Joachim and all that he had done, all that he did, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Jehoiakim rested with his fathers. Then Jehoiachin reigned in his place. So I just want to go. All these, all these guys are are talked about um, in the book of Jeremiah, and it, you wonder, you know, why did it, why did these things happen to Jehoiakim? Where uh, God sends four different reigning bands against him. Uh, why is it? Well, all this is laid out in the book of uh, of Jeremiah. Actually, first there's a, uh, they they lay out the different they they lay out this. Remember the first king, his name was Jehoahaz, who goes down and dies in Egypt. It wasn't like God wasn't warning him. Jeremiah had come to him and said. Uh, after I'm sorry after he was taken down to Egypt Jeremiah declared in Jeremiah 22 he says this about Jehoahaz who had been taken to Egypt weep not for the dead nor bemoan him but bemoan him weep bitterly for him who goes away for he shall return no more nor see his native country For thus says the Lord concerning Shalom, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, speaking of Jehoahaz here, who reigned instead of Josiah's father, he shall not return here anymore. So that's what Jeremiah said when the Pharaoh came and took away that first king and brought him back. And verse 12, Jeremiah says, But he shall die in the place where they have led him captive and shall see his land no more. Then Jeremiah prophesies against that the second king, which is Jehoakim. And he says to him, Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness who uses his neighbor's service without wages, who says, I will build myself a wide house with spacious chambers and cut windows out of it, paneling it with cedar and painting it with vermilion. That means he painted his walls all red. And it says, uh, your eyes and your heart are for covetousness, for the shedding of blood... And practicing oppression and violence, he shall be buried with the burial of a donkey, dragged and cast out beyond the gates of Jerusalem. So that's the second king, Jehoiakim. That's the one that the Lord sent raiding bands against him, just to give you an idea of how evil uh, that he was um, in the th- cha- Jeremiah chapter. Thirty-six. Um, Jeremiah comes out with a scroll. The Lord t- tells him, "Listen, warn the king. Warn the king. Warn the king. He's doing evil. He's doing evil. He's doing evil." Prior to you ever suffering any consequences, God warns you about it. That is, He warns and warns and warns and warns. It's not like one day we just get out of bed and we go commit adultery or 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 get drunk and get into a car crash or uh, God's warning us before that time, listen, you're going in the wrong way. And he actually sent this heavyweight prophet, Jeremiah, um, to... Uh, to this second king Jehoiakim, and, and, and God told, said to Jeremiah, "Take a scroll of a book, write it in the words I have spoken, um, it, that it may uh, be that all the house of Judah will hear the judgments which I will bring upon them." And so um, he, 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 his friend uh, Baruch reads Jeremiah's friend Baruch reads this prophecy against Jehoiakim. Um, and it said to, to all of Jeho, not to Jehoiakim directly, but to his cabinet, the cabinet of his ministers. And in verse 16 of Jeremiah 36, it says that when they heard all the words, they looked in fear from one another and said, surely we need to tell the king all these words. And so they said they say t- said to baruch and to jeremiah go and hide you and jeremiah let no one know where you are because they knew that if if, if when the king found out uh, that the king would uh, try to kill them and sure enough in uh, so they make it to Uh, the king and they read the prophecy of Jeremiah to the king and it says that the king was sitting in the winter house in the ninth month and there was a fire burning before him and it happened when Jehudi read three or four columns meaning he didn't he's reading someone else is reading the prophecy of Jeremiah to the king the king cut the pro, the scroll with a knife and cast it into the fire until all the scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the fireplace in the hearth so no wonder here as we're reading about Jehoiakim Je- in verse 2 of chapter 24 that it says the Lord sent against him, Jehoiakim, raiding bands of Chaldeans, Syrians, Moabites, and Ammonites. Here's a guy who actually took the, a scroll of the prophecy, cut it up, and threw it into the fire. So it was not like God wasn't warning him. It's not like God doesn't warn you he warns you. If, if, if you start getting a little close to, uh, to, to sin, oh, there's this really cute guy at work. I know I'm a, a married woman, but I, I, I'm not going to do anything but, you know, talk with them and, and this type of thing. God's warning you. I, the Lord's warning you when you start doing things like that. Um, um, he warns you, and he warned this king. He, he, he loves us, and he warns us he's good enough to do that. Uh, and so uh, this, this guy, Jeho, Jehoakim, winds up uh, dying, and it says, Je, Jeremiah says that he They didn't even give him a proper burial. He got the burial of a donkey, meaning he didn't get a burial. They just threw his body outside of um, the walls of of Jerusalem. Okay, verse 7 of chapter 24 says, The king of Egypt did uh, not come out of his land anymore, for the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt from the brook of Egypt to the uh, river Euphrates. Jeochin, sorry for all these names, this is the third king after Josiah, was 18 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother's name was Nehu, Nehushta, the daughter of Nathan of Jerusalem. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done at that time The servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city as his servants were besieging it. Then Jehoiachin, king of Judah, his mother, his servants, his princes, and his officers, went out to the king of Babylon... And the king of Babylon, in the eighth year of his reign, took him prisoner. He carried, he carried out from there all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house, and he cut it in, piece, cut in pieces all the articles of gold, which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord, as the Lord had said. Also, he carried into captivity all Jerusalem, all the captains, all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives, and all the craftsmen and smiths. None remained except the poorest of the land. And he carried Jehoiachin captive to Babylon, the king's mother, the king's wives, His officers and the mighty of the land he carried into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. All the valiant men, 7,000, and and craftsmen and smiths, 1,000, all who were strong and fit for war, these the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon. Verse 17, then the king of Babylon made Mataniah, Jehoiachin's uncle, king, in his place, and changed his name to Zedekiah. Okay, that's a mouthful. So, for the second time, Nebuchadnezzar comes up against Jerusalem. He's really starting to have problems with this um, with this city. This is five ninety seven BC. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar first came in uh, six oh five. BC, that's when he took Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego away, here he comes again in 597, he besieges the city, now, again, the wonderful thing about this book is that when, arche- uh, when archeologists go and dig, they find out evidence that this is all true, and uh, they dug up, I don't know, in the early 1900s, uh, John, are you, are you back there? Can you put on this screen, they, they dug up the early chronicles, no, no, Nebuchadnezzar's chronicles of his early years. Anyone want to read that for me? Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, this was a chronicle, were chronicles, records made by Nebuchadnezzar boasting about his feats, that F-E-A-T-S, that he had done and just as we saw with the Assyrian king who came down to, what was it, 150 years earlier or something like that, with Hezekiah, or maybe it was, yeah, 150 years earlier. With Hezekiah, we saw a similar document referring to Hezekiah and, and surrounding Jerusalem. Here we see this, and here, this is what Nebuchadnezzar says in the seventh year of Nebuchadnezzar and the month of Chislev, which is November and December, the king of Babylon assembled his army. After he invaded the land of Hati, he laid siege to the city of Judah. This is in this document, um, written again around 585 to six, uh, B.C., something like that. On the second day of the month, he conquered the city and took the king prisoner. We just read about that he installed in his place a king of his own choice. We just read about that. And after he had received rich tribute, he sent forth, meaning he returned to Babylon. So it's just wonderful that in secular sources, we read the very same thing, um, affirming the truth of the Bible. Actually, the Bible is affirming the truth of that. If It really is. That's the right thing. But um, uh, in any event... Uh, it says here that in verse 13, well, in verse 12, it says, Jehoiachin and his mother, his servants, his prince and all his officers went back to Babylon. So number one, he took the royalty back. Number two, it says he took all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house, meaning all those Goblets that were used for drinking that Solomon uh, made, and all the the vessels of the temple. These treasures in verse thirteen. Try to stay with me here of Second Kings twenty four. They show up again in what book? Someone shouted out, in the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel. By now, by Daniel. By the book of Daniel, the, the, most of the book of Daniel, Israel doesn't exist anymore and, and, and it, it's been destroyed. The temple has been destroyed and Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, they think it's actually his grandson, uh, Belshazzar, is having a feast and it says in Daniel chapter 5 verse 2, he said, well, verse one, he says, he made a great feast for a thousand of his lords. They drank wine in the presence of the thousand. Verse two says, while he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father, although we think it's his grandfather, they're just calling it his father, but we think it's his grandfather, had taken from the temple which he had been in Jerusalem that the king and his lords and his wives and concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of the Lord, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords and his wives drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and the gods of bronze And iron, wood, and stone. So they're drinking this wine, which Solomon had put in the temple as an instrument for the priest um, um, for the service of the temple. And they're drinking wine and they're praising the God of wood and silver and gold. And it says, at that very time, in the same hour, fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote and the king's countenance changed his thoughts troubled so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other meaning he was terrified yeah, see the Lord knows what's going on when they came in and defeated Jerusalem, it wasn't the Lord that had been defeated. It was the Lord actually was the one who ordered the defeat of his own people. And, and so uh, they're uh, caring about using the articles of the Lord as if, it, as if, you know, whatever, this God's been defeated. Let's use this God's vessels. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere during this party, a hand appears writing on the wall. Many, many tekel a parson. The king freaks out. He goes and tries to get all the astrologers, come here, tell me what those words mean. Um, His wife says, listen, there's only one guy who's going to tell you, a guy named Daniel. And the king says, hey, listen, Daniel, uh, if, if, if you can tell me what those four words mean, um, I will make you, I will clothe you in purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and you'll be the third ruler in the kingdom. What did Daniel tell him? Anyone remember? Give your to Let your gifts be given to another. I could care less. That, that, the more you grow in Christ, the more you can care less about riches and luxury. Give your gifts to another. But I'm going to tell you anyway what it means. He says, Many, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persian. And that's what happened that night. That uh, that king was defeated. Um, And uh, there was a transfer of power from the Babylonians to the Medes and Persians. But back in 2nd, I I hope you guys are still with me, back in 2nd Kings 24. These are the very goblets referred to in in verse 13 here that show up again in the book of Daniel. It says in verse 14, he carried into captivity all Jerusalem, all the captains and all the men of valor, 10,000 captives, and all the craftsmen and smiths. So does someone other than Freddie know who was taken in this exile Oh, man. No, Daniel went the first time. Who went this in this one? Anyone know? No. Who's that other major heavyweight prophet alongside of Daniel? Ezekiel. Ezekiel. So in this time, Ezekiel went. Um, he went to uh, Babylon. It says in addition to him... Um, the valiant men they just went around looking at all the big dudes and 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 they just basically forced the forced draft they're forcing the draft here they're bringing all the the valiant jewish men all the craftsmen you know babylon was an ancient wonder of the a wonder of the one of the what is it? Seven wonders of the ancient world. There was a reason for it, that, because Nebuchadnezzar went and got all the best craftsmen in the world, and he brought them and forced them to come to Babylon and and make a city that was just astonishing in beauty. Some of whom we learn here were Jews. They were taken back there and. Um, uh, then it says in verse 17 uh, the, the king of Babylon made Matanna, Jochin's uncle king in his place, a guy by the name of Zedekiah now this guy is, oh man uh, he, he, he's just got jelly for his backbone you, you, you read a lot about him uh, in the book of Jeremiah it says he was 21 years old when he became king, he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem his mother's name was Hamathai the the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. That's not Jeremiah the prophet. That's a different Jeremiah. He also did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that Jehochim had done. For because of the anger of the Lord, this happened in Jerusalem and Judah, that he finally cast them out from his presence. Then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. And so what happened so Zedekiah agrees to be the king. Again, three sons of Josiah had reigned, all of them evil, all of them basically removed. The Nebuchadnezzar comes and puts a brother of Josiah in because there's no more sons left. He puts a brother of Josiah in the power. His name is Zedekiah. But Zedekiah rebels against the king of Babylon and... Um, Apparently, he aligned, he, he did a realign himself with Egypt, says, I don't want to rebel up against Babylon anymore. If you're familiar with the book of Jeremiah, throughout uh, Jeremiah is telling, is telling Zedekiah, listen, pl- just stay submitted to the king of Babylon, cool out. Eventually, the Lord is going to reestablish this city, this place, and everything else. But he refused uh, to continue under Babylon, he went back to Egypt again. Chapter twenty-five, verse one says, "Now it came to pass in the tenth month, and in the, t- the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army, against Jerusalem, encamped against it, and they build a siege wall against it all around. So the city was besieged until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah." So this is 589 B.C. for you history nerds. Uh, first one, first siege of, you could call siege of, of, of Nebuchadnezzar was in 605. Second one is 597. This one is in 589. This is going to be the last one. Uh, the, by now, the, the, this, this guy's, Nebuchadnezzar is trying to preserve the city of Jerusalem without having to destroy it. He tries twice not to destroy it. This third, this third time, though, uh, all the prophecies of the prophets are going to be fulfilled. The city is going to be destroyed. For, so again, verse 2, he besieged until the 11th year of Zedekiah. So for about two years. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine became so severe in the city that there was no food for the le- people Of the land, and so you can actually um, read about some of this stuff in the Book of Lamentations. It says, um, speaking about this time where there's a famine, there's no food. It says uh, in chapter of uh, chapter four of Lamentations, verse seven. Jerusalem's Nazarites, meaning the best of her men, they were brighter than snow, whiter than milk. They were more ruddy in body than rubies, like sapphire in their appearance, but now their appearance is blacker than soot. They go unrecognized in the street. Their skin clings to their bones. This is a description of the famine. This is a judgment of the Lord, by the way, but Nebuchadnezzar is outside the city for two years, not letting any provisions come in. This is what people look like inside, their skins clinging to their bones. It has become dry as wood. Those slain by the sword are better off than those who die of hunger, for these Pine away, stricken for lack of fruits of the field. Verse 10 says, The hands of the compassionate women have cooked their own children. Meaning the best of the women in the land are cooking their own children. They become food for them in the destruction of the daughter of my people. By the way, this was predicted in Deuteronomy chapter 28. That this would be part of the consequences of rebellion against the commands of the Lord. By the way, this is why we run to Jesus. It's Look, I don't want, I don't, Jesus, I just want you. Well, you know, when you, when, when you read this, it's like, yeah, uh, but for your grace, I'll become like this. Uh, please don't let it happen, Jesus. Uh, thank you for your promise that um, for the Holy Spirit, that seed that you'll put in me to make me like Christ. So I will never suffer consequences like this. And, and, and so uh, that's what's happening. Again, back in 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 3, uh, the famine becomes so severe That there's no food for the people in the city Verse 4 Then the city wall was broken through And all the men of war fled at night By way of the gate between two walls That's a real courageous army for you right there It's like let's just uh, let the people here by themselves We're going to flee That's who they had become In their rebellion against the word of the Lord That's who they had become It says they fled by night by way of the gate of the city, which was by the king's garden, even though the Chaldeans were still encamped all around against the city. And the king went by the way of the plain. So the king escapes from the city. You know, the the, the president of, uh, of Ukraine was offered asylum outside the country and he's like listen I don't want a plane ticket I want your I I want your planes here to fight against the Russians and not so this, this king he takes off he flees uh and and he goes uh and 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 the very descriptive answer to uh, rather the very descriptive um uh scene follows it says the army of the chaldeans pursued the king verse five they overtook him in the plains of jericho all his army was scattered from him so they took the king and brought him to the king of babylon at ribla and they pronounced judgment on him then they killed the sons of zedekiah before his eyes put out the eyes of Zedekiah bound him with bronze fetters and took him to Babylon and so Jeremiah when he was pleading when Jeremiah was pleading with the king of Babylon uh, rather the king of Israel Zedekiah to to um, to just like cool out, submit, obey God. He just wants you to submit to the king of Babylon. Um, tells him when he's warning him, you shall not escape from this guy's hand. He, he, but, but surely you will be taken and delivered into his hands. Your eyes will see his eyes, the king of Babylon. You shall speak with him face to face, And you shall go to Babylon. So Jeremiah had told Zedekiah, listen, this guy is coming against this city. Give up. Surrender. But he wouldn't do it. And Jeremiah told him, I'm telling you what's going to happen to you. You're going to be delivered into his hands and you shall speak with him face to face. Which is exactly what happened, right? He tried to escape. The army of the Babylonians caught up to the king and took him to King Nebuchadnezzar and he saw him face to face. But then Ezekiel in Ezekiel's prophecy um, says this word, and now Ezekiel was in Babylon, but these prophecies made their way back to Jerusalem where Zedekiah was. Uh, and, And and Ezekiel tells this to the king. He says, I will spread my net over the king, King Zedekiah. He shall be caught in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of Chaldeans, yet he shall not see it, though he shall die there. So Ezekiel prophesies basically that he's going to be blinded. This is all before before his eyes were plucked out um, by the king of Babylon, Ezekiel prophesies it. So you can imagine this king, uh, it it says that in verse 7, King Nebuchadnezzar killed his sons before his eyes, and then immediately after, uh, put out his eyes. So the last image that he ever had was his sons being killed. I mean, just severe, serious judgment at this time. Verse 8, and in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. Verse 9, he burned the house of the Lord. So that's the temple. So the temple is destroyed. And the king's house. All the houses of Jerusalem, that is, all the houses of the great He burned with fire. So here you have Jerusalem being burned to the ground. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captains of the guard broke down the walls of Jerusalem all around. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away captive the rest of the people who remained in the city and the defectors who had deserted to the king of Babylon with the rest of the multitude. But the captain of the guard left some of the poor of the land as vine dressers and farmers. So here, Jerusalem is burned to the ground. The wall is torn down to the ground. About uh, 50, 60 years from now, Ezra is going to come back and with Jews. And they would, to rebuild the city, and the city is just in shambles. Uh, He's going to build the temple, then Nehemiah's going to show up, and Nehemiah's going to build the walls, and, uh, but they come back to nothing. Remember, there's a verse in Zechariah which uh, says, speak grace to the rubble, meaning there's nothing left in Jerusalem but rubble. It's literally, they, they make rubble out of Jerusalem. Verse 13, the bronze pillars that were in the house of the Lord and the carts of the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried their bronze to Babylon. They took away the pots, the shovels, the trimmers, the spoons, and all the bronze utensils which the priests ministered. So all the gold had been taken away the previous time. This time they're taking away the bronze. Verse 15, the fire pans and the basins, the things of solid gold. Oh, I take it back. The things of solid gold and solid silver, the captain of the guard took away. So it sounds like there's still gold and silver there. Verse 16, the two pillars, one sea and the carts, which Solomon had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all these articles was beyond measure. So more bronze than they could even weigh was taken away. So literally, they're just stripping the temple and Jerusalem bare, and they're carting everything off 900 miles away to the city of Babylon, modern-day Iraq. Verse 18, the captain of the guard took Sariah the chief priest, Zephaniah the second priest, and the three doorkeepers, he also took out of the city an officer who had charge of the men of war, five men of the king's close associates who were found in the city, and chief, the chief recruiting officer of the army who mustered the people of the city and 60 men of the people of the land who were found in the city. So Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard, took these and brought them to the king of Riblah. Then the king of Babylon struck them and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. Thus Judah was carried away captive from its own land. And so 120 years... Before this, the northern kingdom of Israel, same thing happened. But this is the way sin works in our hearts. The Bible speaks of the deceitfulness of sin. It says in Hebrews 3.13, Every day, encourage one another, lest you be deceived by the deceitfulness of sin. Meaning, Christians, you should be texting, seeing each other, calling each other every day lest you be deceived by the deceitfulness of sin. And the way sin deceives is, yeah, I know this is what happened when that guy sinned, but me, it's not gonna happen. I won't get the same consequences. Or I know, I grew up in, the, in a family and I saw what my father did you know, cheating against my mom I saw what my mom did cheating against my father but I I'm going to sin a little sneakier a little better and I'm going to get away with it that's the deceitfulness of sin these people in Judah had seen 120 years before the exact same thing happened to their cousins up north in the northern part of the king, kingdom of Israel but they somehow thought they would be able to get away with the very same things their cousins in the north did. Doesn't happen with God. There is a way that seems right to man, and in the end, it leads to death. And so that's what happens here. You know, so at this point, the temple is completely flattened. And so, what's everyone saying? What's it, what, what are all the other nations who believe in all kinds of pagan gods? It's a. Polit- All the other nations were polytheistic, meaning they believed in all kinds of gods. You know, what kind of God is this God in Israel? Look at he can't even protect his own people. You know, a verse in the Bible uh, that I always think of when this kind of stuff happens in modern days. For example, there's a scandal in a church. A pastor of a megachurch, or in any church, a small church, commits adultery. it's all over CNN, the media look at this famous person, they commit adultery, and, and you're like, "Why does God let this happen? Psalm 30, 138 verse two says this. It says, "Of God, it says, "You have magnified your word above your name." Meaning." to God, his word is more important than his reputation. He's perfectly willing to let his reputation take a major hit if you're disobeying his word. You know, I've, I've had people real close to me over the years who, 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 who spent a lot of their time witnessing to various people and and then those people close to me, they, they would fall into terrible sin and stuff, and, and everyone would be saying, you see all that Christianity stuff? Look at That's Christianity? Psalm 138, verse 2. God magnifies his word above his name. God's perfectly willing to let his reputation take a hit. Please don't be deceived into thinking, well, I, I have so many, so much Christian influence over people, God's never going to make me suffer anything, any consequences for my sin. No. Look at what he does here. The temple is burned to the ground. You know, and at that time, at this time, the, the, the nations observing Israel, the temple was the, was the symbol or the representation of strength of the god and so if the temple goes that means the god is weak god magnifies his word above his name god magnifies his word above his name god magnifies his word above his name this is i tell you the the, the, the christian life it's just simple obedience to the lord simple obedience to the lord And don't think that somehow you're an exception to the command in the Bible to obey his word. And so Jerusalem is just uh, taken out. It says, verse 22, after he... He, he took the other king, the second king goes back to, uh, to Babylon. It says, he made Gedaliah the son of Ahakam, the son of Shaphan, governor over the people who remained in the land of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had left. So anytime an emperor like Nebuchadnezzar took over a particular city, he's always leave a governor or a king there. And now he leaves this guy. His name is Gedaliah in charge. Verse 23. Now when all the captains of the armies they and their men heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah governor, they came to Gedaliah at Mizpah. Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, Johanan, the son of Tirah, Sariah the son of Hamhumeth, and Netophathite, And Jezaniah, the son of Mechathite, they and their men, and Gedaliah took an oath before them and their men and said to them, Do not be afraid of the servants of Chaldeans. Dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. But it happened in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishamah, of the royal family came with 10 men and struck and killed Gedaliah, the Jews, as well as the Chaldeans who were with him at Mizpah. So it's just anarchy by this time. It's just complete anarchy. The, the, and it says, verse 26, And all the people, small and great, captains of the armies, arose and went to Egypt. So all the remaining Jews fled to Egypt. There's basically no one left. That's why, again, when Ezra comes back with his people, uh, they just meet rubble there. It says, end of verse 26, For they were afraid of the, the, the Chaldeans. Verses 27 through 30, the Lord opens up just a ray of hope here. It says, now it came to pass in the 37th year of the captivity of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 27th day of the month, that evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign released Jehoiachin, king of Judah, from prison. So, one of Nebuchadnezzar's descendants who became king finds out about this Jewish king who's in jail, who had been taken by Nebuchadnezzar and thrown in jail. He's been in jail for 37 years. Verse 28 says, He spoke kindly to him and gave him a more prominent seat than those of the king's who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoshin changed from his prison garments and he ate bread regularly before the king all the days of his life. And as for his provisions, there was a regular ration given by the king, a portion for each day, all the days of his life. So, a very odd way to end a book, but it is a ray of hope. And indeed, they would be going back, God would be sending his people back and reestablishing Jerusalem again. But you have this ray of hope that this king um, who had been in prison is brought up. It's like, oh, you know, at the time, it's like, okay, maybe there's hope. Maybe there's hope for us. You know, we've run out of time here. We're not going to have time for prayer tonight. But um, I was praying for a number of people this morning. And I was just praying the Ephesians 1 prayer. And there's this wonderful uh, prayer in Ephesians 1. and, And it's Paul praying for the people in Ephesus in the New Testament. And he prays that they would know what the hope of their calling is. He prayed that they would know what the hope of their calling is. 2 Kings ends with a message of hope. The Jewish people had a calling and that was through the lion of these kings, the king of kings would be born and for that reason alone, doesn't matter if Jerusalem is in rubble, doesn't matter if your kings in prison if they knew the hope of their calling that there would be a messiah someday who would be sent by God to be the king of kings that there was hope for them and and I pray for you you who are here tonight you who are watching online if there's anyone still watching, I don't know, I think it went out, or in anyone who listens um, at some point to this message online, I pray along with Paul for the Ephesians, that you would know the hope of your calling. God has called you. He's called you for a purpose. He's called you to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but he's also called you for a specific reason. I pray that you would know the hope of your calling. With God, there's always hope. Hope is the certainty of a future result. You have a future, and the Bible says that it is written in stone that, you're, that God's going to be using you, using you for good, and eventually you will, get a, uh, you will be in the presence of the Lord, in a glorified body. That's the wonderful thing about the Lord. So he ends here in 2 Kings with a message of hope. Now the Jews who knew their calling knew the hope of their calling. Whether they're kings in jail or out of jail, they knew there was hope. They knew there was a king of kings who, who would be sent into the world. They knew that. They knew that from the book of Isaiah, among many other things. They knew that there would be a prince of peace coming. The government would be on his shoulders, that he would be so powerful And we as Christians, you have Christians, you too. You've been called. And I pray that you would know the hope of your calling. The hope of your calling is so rich and wonderful. That's why Paul prays for it. So let me close in prayer for this evening. And then you can go pick up your children if you have children. Father, we just thank you. And I pray with Paul uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, Lord, I pray for this group of precious brothers and sisters that are here, Lord, that you would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, Lord. That the eyes of their heart would be enlightened, that they would know what the hope is, of their calling, their call by you. They've been called by you, Lord. I pray that they would know the hope of that. I pray that they would know the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints. And I pray that every man and woman in this room would know the exceeding greatness of your power towards them even as they believe. I pray that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, God bless you. I'm sorry you going